I would like for you to once again turn to 1 John chapter 5. We were there last Sunday, and the message then was victorious faith. I've been on this subject now for a couple of weeks. We talked one Wednesday night about overcoming, and last Sunday was more of that. You see, I do believe, I'll repeat myself, I do believe that a lot of people are just going along with what's happening, just sort of flowing with whatever is going on, and they're not really fighting like, well, as far as I'm concerned, like we once did, like people used to fight. At the first sign of the appearance of the devil in their circumstances or their life, used to draw the sword because it was a fresh word. It was a living word. It was in our minds and hearts that God wants us to fight, that we're not to be a complacent people letting whatever happens happen because things happen because the devil will do whatever he can. But God's called us to fight. As he says here in our text, he said in verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith. The faith that God has given to you has been proven. It has already worked. It worked in Jesus. That's the kind of faith we're to have. We're to have the faith of Christ or the faith of the Lord Jesus in our affairs in this life. And we can. But if we have known that and sort of let that drift, we no longer fight. It doesn't seem to be inspired to overcome to get in there and fight and not let this just happen and not just take that or accept whatever you hear is the way it's going to be and just pale under the weight of it. No, we fight. We are fighters. You see, somebody is because our text, again, this is a very solemn verse when you think about it. He said in verse 4 again, whatever God gives birth to will overcome the world. Now, there's a lot of people who aren't overcoming. There's a lot of people who don't really know what it means or are really not interested in that aspect of Christianity. They're more interested in the things that people can see, the doing things and the helping things and the going places. That's good. I mean, we are to do those things. But it says specifically here, individually about us, he said, whatever God gives birth to will overcome the world. Now, we have to believe that, don't we? And again, it's a solemn verse because the two things he did say in this is that, that whatever God births, if I could say it like this, whatever life he comes into, that life will overcome. They will not be a defeated, lacking a testimony type of life. They will overcome. Something about the presence of God Something from heaven, supernatural, beyond ordinary human things. Something from God comes into a human life and changes everything. All things become new. And one of those new things is that we no longer just take whatever life throws at us as the way of life, but we deal with it. Because we don't have to have things happen to us that happens to other people in the world. It does not have to be. I don't have to accept defeat or all the problems and the ills that people are so fearful of and afraid. I don't have to have it because 
I have been delivered from it. I have been redeemed from it. I have been delivered. I don't know how many people really believe that. We've heard it a lot. I wonder how many people really believe that Jesus came to deliver us from the power of the devil. That we are to be strong in the Lord. In Ephesians 6.10, we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Well, that might is in us. Again, this is a different kind of a life that we suddenly are aware of and we're interested in and we seek out and we want to build ourselves on it. Something happens when God takes his residence in a human body. When a human life that was just ordinary becomes something out of the ordinary. And that life, that stirring on the inside of you, that God at work in you kind of life causes you to fight back, to fight, to overcome, to be victorious, to prevail. This is what it does. And the way it does it, in the same verse 4, 1 John 5, the way you do it is by faith. The victory that overcomes this world is even not the preacher's faith, not who has climbed the mountains in life and has pulled down strongholds. If I can get them to pray for me, I'll be, well, no. The victory that overcomes the world is even your faith. And when you say, well, I don't think I have a whole lot. Well, you know, it only takes a mustard seed amount to move a mountain, but you've got to have that. And it would do you no good to say you have faith if you never use it. Faith is not just a word in the English language. It is a force. It is a power in a Christian's life. It is what God waits on from us in order for him to move for us or on our behalf. The victory that overcomes the world is your faith. Therefore, you must overcome the world. In whatever dimension of life you're in, you overcome the world with what you've got. That'll work because there's power in all of this. But you've got to be strong. Be strong in the Lord in the power of what? Where is it? It's in you. It's in there latent or lying in wait. It's there. It's there because God brought it there. It came with him. When God takes his residence in a person's life again, that comes with it. One of the purposes of teaching is to bring this all to your attention, to show you the potential that each one of us has as a believer of having a testimony that the whole world's looking for, of overcoming, of prevailing, of being well and being whole and of triumphing over our issues and having a smile on your face and true peace and joy in your heart because you believe. And there's almost... Well, there's only a little of that today. We've just come to expect things to happen, and they happen, and you just sort of do the best you can. That's not Christianity. We don't lay down. Whenever a Christian fights, whenever a Christian is strong in the Lord, the Bible mentions three things. There's no turning back, no looking back, and no drawing back. We don't do that. Not anymore. There's no longer in a Christian's life what God gives birth to. There's no longer a resignation to circumstances. There's no longer this 
indifference to the word and, well, what can we do about it? Or it's been five years now since I prayed. Or it's been 15 years ago since I prayed for this and it's not happening. Or, you know, I prayed for salvation of this daughter, that woman, or whatever. 15 years ago and they're still not saved. You know what? Faith has no clock, has no calendar, and never gives up. Never gives up. Once you lay hold of God and you put something out before him, you stay there. And you keep God in remembrance. He hasn't forgotten, but he wants you to earnestly want it and to earnestly contend for it and to stay there and to hold him to his word. That doesn't offend God because very few people ever do it. There's very few people. I'm talking about the one who goes before the throne and says, I want you to know that I prayed for my daughter's healing, my son's healing for my wife's, whatever I prayed for, Lord. It's been a while, but it doesn't matter because you're faithful. And you will do it. And you will restore that faulty part of their body or the marriage or the money or the loss or the gloom, the depression they're going through, whatever it is. You will do it because nothing's too hard for you. I'm laying, well, like the song, I cast all my cares and worries and things that bring stress and defeated lies upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And if I leave them there, I'm not going to pick them up and take them home with me. I'm going to leave them right there because I don't have to live under the weight of all that stuff because I have a place I can take it and get rid of it. I shall be the head and not the tail. I shall be above and not beneath. I shall be blessed when I go out. I shall be blessed when I come in. Thus saith the Lord. So the word declares. And if God says it like that, shouldn't we want that? And if we can live like that, are we not victorious people? Well, what inspires us to live like that? The Spirit of God. That's where the Word came from. It's all inspired by the Lord, by His Spirit. When the Bible says, I'm the Lord that healeth thee, is he or not? Well, who does he heal? Thee. I mean, who's healing for? Thee. Not T-H-E, T-H-E-E. Well, who is deliverance for? Thee. Who is thee? Me. Me is thee. I am he that thee speaks of. It is for me. It's not an iffy word. It's not like God could and he might because, well, he, you know, it's not like God knows best. Of course he does. But it's not like he says, well, he may not want you to have it. He may not, you know, he may know that if you get this, you'll go this way. Bible doesn't say that. Bible says whosoever. That's what it says, whosoever. And we'll get to that in a minute because if you're going to be victorious, you're going to have to be victorious in your faith. And you're going to have to be strong and not waver and quit and give up and turn back and look back and draw back. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4 for the best picture this morning in the New Testament for what it means to be strong in faith. That is a definition or a picture of it and the wonderful story that goes with it. Romans chapter 4, verse Abraham. How's that? 4, verse 18. Now, this whole chapter is really interesting about 
who is right in the eyes of God? Just a little touch of theology here. Never has a man, by taking a document like a law, never has a man been able to read a few things and then go out and do that. Nothing that he has done here makes him righteous. It's not like your heart and soul has to be in this. You just have to, like a lot of the Hebrews did, they just did it because it was in the law, and they were really indifferent in their heart to God. Therefore, while they did the right things, they were not right with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? They had no love for God. They had love for themselves. They wanted the Sabbath day to end so they could go make money. And they did all of this stuff and ho-hum this. And you read in Malachi what they said. They disdained his worship. But they did it. They were legal people. Or Isaiah 1, you know, enough of your new moons and your feast and your sacrifices and the shedding of blood, enough. I want no more of it because your heart's not right. Now, if the heart is not right, a man is not right. Are you with me? If the motivations and meditations, the things that inspire a life are not his love to please God, the life is not right. Because one thing that Paul writes, he said, you know, it's not legalism, not circumcision, non-circumcision. It's faith that works by love. It's being faithful to God because you love him. It's wanting to do what he said. That alone, singly, by itself, alone, is what makes a man or woman right with God. It's not the reading of verses. It's not all the little details of the tithe or the... Or the sacrifices. It's not those things that make you right. Those are just legal duties. They made nobody right. Man failed the whole system. Couldn't live by it. That's what Romans 4 starts with. But God made a promise to Abraham. Asked Abraham to take a step, not by law, but just simply in his relationship with God. Will you do this? Do this, Abraham. And because Abraham's response was to God, whom he loved, he didn't know all he's going to know about him, but he knew that he was God, and he wanted to obey God, and he did what God said. His obedience, God says, is what makes him right. That's called the righteousness, which is a faithfulness. Here's how it worked with Abraham as far as being declared right. In verse 18, the story is well known. You know it well, but let's look at it again. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to what it was written or spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was almost 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. There's our words. Strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now, back to verse 18. Now, we read the story about Abraham, and it's not really a big deal because it's a story. We don't have to put ourselves in his shoes and try to think about what that would have been like and what would we have done. We just, it's just a story. But think of it for just a moment. God has given Abraham something to do that has never been done, has never been heard of. There was nothing 
in the Old Testament or the law that had anything to do with believing such a thing. I mean, there's nothing like that in the Old Testament. Abraham was almost 100 years old. Now, with regard to fathering children, giving birth to children and all that kind of activity, he was past the time when that happens anymore. It's a natural process of aging that just comes with age. And he came to the place he was done as far as siring, fathering children. And the promise that God said was, I want you to father a child with Sarah. Now, Sarah has a barren womb. She never had a child. Even when she was young in the childbearing years, she never had children. So I guess that just became a given. She's never going to have children. And yet she's almost 90, and God says, now you at 100 are going to father a child with her, and she's 90. And, you know, the Bible story was she laughed because it was unheard of. In other words, how can this be? Okay, against hope, hope is what you expect to happen. Just natural things you expect to happen. You turn on the lights, the switch, the lights come on. You turn on the button, the fans come on. You put your key in the car, the car starts. That's natural. You just get used to that. You really believe that. You don't have to try to believe that. It's just such a, a common occurrence. You believe that. That's just natural. It's faith because you don't have to stop and think about what you're doing. You drive down the road, you don't worry about the guy coming the other way because you really do believe he can stay in his lane. You believe that. You believe that when you are served something to eat in a store or a restaurant, if you eat it, you do believe it won't kill you because you ate it. You don't have it analyzed. You just have grown up like this. It's a, the life of repetition of things. It's just things repeat themselves, and you just naturally believe that. What if I told you that Bonnie and I are going to have a baby in five years? Well, see, look at how you're acting. I mean, you're all laughing. Well, it would be humorous. <laughs> but it would be, to say the least. But now you think about Abraham and Sarah, who against any real expectation, come on now, against any kind of realization that this is going to happen, he believed it would. And how strange he must have seemed in his Sunday school class when he gave his testimony at the Sunday night meeting. God spoke with me this morning and told me that Sarah and I are going to have a baby. <laughs> yes, okay, amen. Thank you, brother. Next. That's how difficult this probably was. The human mind can think, why wouldn't you have done this back when we were younger? I mean, we would have been better equipped to raise this child. We would have been more youthful and we could run and play. I mean, 100 years old is really a difficult time to start. A 100-year-old man is not like a 30-year-old man. But he said against hope, he believed in hope. He believed anyway. It's something that God did in his heart. Something on the inside of him was no longer just limited to the ordinary. It was no longer one plus one always must equal two. It cannot equal anything else. Now it's God in there. One plus one can be whatever God wants it to be. It'd be 111. 
because it's something he does, and Abraham had that experience. Something on the inside of Abraham said, wow, wow, a baby at 100, praise God, and he gave glory to God. He gave glory to God. And look at verse 20. It says that Abraham believed God. He didn't just acknowledge that God said it like church folks do. He believed him. He began to count on God to do that. He accepted as true what God said. And his heart said, it will be even as he has told me. When the words of God speak and they're settled in my heart and my mouth says the same thing and we connect, faith is the result of it. And Abraham was on the same page that God was on and was accepting as true something that was impossible in a biological, natural, scientific world. It could not be. And that miracle is still a stumbling block to a lot of heady, intelligent people in studious places. They still try to explain away, well, they had their numbers messed up here. Well, you know, in those days, one, you know, they didn't know how old anybody was. Really. It seemed like all through history, liberals, that's a nasty word. Especially, well, political, I was going to say, but I'll leave politically out, okay? It's just a nasty word. It's a destructive, ugly word. Liberals cannot explain miracles. They could not accept a miracle. The Red Sea was a result of stars lining up and planets and atmospheric cobulations. Whatever a cobulation is, that's my word. And all of these things about the Red Sea and all of that, that could not have been. It was a myth. It was just some kind of a story made up to make Moses and God look good. None of this is true. The Bible you're holding in your lap is not really real. It's a compilation of writings that have been recopied so many times that nothing original and nothing is verifiable, able to be proven. It's just good moral teachings. Jesus was a good moral man. But let's face it, there's no such thing as a virgin having a baby. That cannot be. That's all made up. The resurrection, they stole his body out of there. That could not be. Noah's Ark was just a story that was like some of the other myths they heard in pagan countries. They had stories like that too. So it was just, you know, God competing with the other people. He wanted his people to have some kind of a something like that too. So they make these stories up. And when they get through with this, the Bible you're holding is just a book. Might as well put it back on the shelf and bring Reader's Digest to church with you next week. And the evidence of such trash is the deadness of people. Even in Christian circles, there's so much liberalism in Christian circles that churches are full of people who are dead men walking. 
There's no interactivity. There's no godly spiritual activity. The activity is all about outside things, building it bigger, making it better, increasing the size of it, going to another missionary field, starting something here. It's things that people can see that they applaud. But the hearts are empty. The hearts are just empty. There's no life in there. There's nothing that warrants a fight. It's not there. Teaching is just a bore. And we don't need to be taught. We've been taught enough. How many people have come by here and said, oh, you've been taught enough? We have never been taught enough. What we know in comparison to what can be known, we're embarrassed. Just think of the little bit you have heard has been enough to keep us together for going on 30 years. And going to get a bunch in heaven. And like he said in 1 Timothy 4, you just preach the gospel and do this and do this, and you ensure not only salvation for yourself, but all those that hear you. So we'll just stick to our little tiny world that they say we're in. We're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Praise God. But Abraham believed. He just took God at his word, and therefore, as he said in verse 20, he just expected God to do what had never happened before, and God said, this for you will be a right stand. This is righteousness, because you're willing to take me at my word, and I couldn't find anybody else on this earth that would believe that, but you will, because God on the inside made it possible. To be sure, faith and its working is the work of God. No man can just conjure up faith except a natural faith in the Coke machine and the light switch. That's natural faith. Same thing. I mean, it's the same choice. Faith is the same whether it's towards the devil or towards God. But when you channel your will towards God, it's called faith in God. But people in the world, they can't believe this. They couldn't believe what Abraham believed. They can't believe what you folks believe or you're supposed to believe or profess to believe. Look at verse... 19. 19 and 20 says there's two things that Abraham did not. He did not. First, it says in verse 19, he considered not. And in verse 20, he staggered not. Now, these are two things that faith does. Number one, he considered not. Now, there's two ways to look at that. One way is that Abraham, with regard to God, would not even consider the condition, the age, or the limitations of his body as far as creating a child, being a father. He wouldn't even think about it. That's one way that people see it, because with regard to God, he said, I refuse to even think about it. Another way to look at it, and you can take your pick, the other way was that he became aware when he heard the promise, he considered that his body was not able to do what God said in the natural, way past that. 100-year-old man. You can't even hardly find a 100-year-old man today. Some say, well, he considered that he was past the age of fathering children in his youthful and young years. Either way, the conclusion he reached was the same. He considered not his own body, now what? now dead, in verse 19, when he was about 100 years old, and neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
He did not stop and say, well, I don't know how this can be. <laughs> how can it be, Lord? Because in the natural, it couldn't be. But when God comes in, he brings the supernatural. It can be. And if God said it, it shall be. It doesn't matter what the mind of man says. Man thinks himself to be wise and he becomes a fool because he disagrees with God. In verse 20, he said he staggered not. Staggered means he did not withdraw from. Did not stagger at what? The promise. That's the basis for faith. Promise. That's what we base our faith on. Or the physical testimony of his body or Sarah's body. He didn't stagger. He didn't waver. Let me tell you how this word stagger. It's used 22 times in the New Testament. Let me show you three of those places where this word for stagger is used. One is Mark 11 and verse 23. You remember this story? Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou taken up and cast into the sea and shall not doubt, that's our word, the word stagger is this word doubt, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall not stagger in his heart and be unsure, but shall believe those things he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. That's what Jesus said. That's for the words from Jesus. If you tell this mountain and you don't doubt it, it'll be, it'll happen. It'll happen. Or in Matthew 21 and verse 21. Similarly, it says the same thing, that if you have faith and doubt not, if you have faith and doubt not, it seems like a lot of people, you ask Christian people about faith. Oh, I have faith. Oh, I have faith. Oh, I have faith. Then why do you doubt? Did the apostle Peter have faith? Sure he did. But there was a time when his faith failed him, didn't it? It just died right there in the water. And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Do you realize that all that, to use our language, all that God brings to the table works when you use your faith and he's glorified in it? And when you let go of your faith and it all fails, it's just like anybody else and it's ordinary like everybody else. God is glorified when you stand strong in your faith and you use your faith and you overcome by faith. You're different. You're different than everybody we know. We don't know anybody that lives like that. We don't know anybody that doesn't have a medicine chest full of medicine or a vocabulary full of ills and pains and dreads of tomorrow. We don't know anybody like that in this age. And yet here you come. You're different. They say, how can this be? What is the reason of this hope that is within you? You're no different than I am. You're an ordinary person like I am. How is it that your children are well and you all seem to be always and you all and you don't? And I go to church. It's faith. It's one little word. It's not activity. It's faith. It's not religious busyness. It's faith. It's what do you believe? Not what do you say you believe. What do you incorporate in your life that God brought to your table and you said it shall be? And you live like that when nobody else will. You do. It's faith. 
we started with this morning, the victory that overcomes the world, is even our faith. We sing songs. We sang two or three this morning. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. He bought me with his redeeming love. He loved me before I ever knew him and so forth. All my love is due him. It's something that has happened to us. And the life that came into our life making all of this happen is a life that has brought pleasure to us. It's changed the course of our life. And where I was about a half hour ago, it's the reason that I want to continue living this way. God is good to me. God is good to us. Thy loving kindness, which is also a word for mercy, thy loving kindness and merciful ways towards me is better than life. Thus my lips praise thee. Thus there is joy in my, thus there is peace. But he said, you got to stagger not. The third place I told you about where this word stagger is used is in the book of James, chapter 1. Count it all joy when you encounter divers' trials. Remember that? Knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have its perfect work so that you will wind up being complete and lacking in nothing. Verse 5, but ask in faith. Don't just do like churches do and have prayer meetings where they just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. He said, when you ask, ask in faith. Faith lays hold of things unseen and brings them into the reality of hope in your heart. Faith is the substance of things you expect to happen. A lot of people pray all the time and expect nothing to happen. That's why they keep praying about the same thing. They don't expect it to work. They think by much praying, they'll get it. But the Bible says, you know, the faith being a substance of things hoped for, when you pray, believe you have received. Remember Jesus taught that? He said, believe you have received, and you shall have it. So to have faith in God, then, is to believe when I pray that I have received what I'm asking for. I better settle this in my heart. Now, do I really believe? Am I convinced, persuaded, and absolutely certain that God's going to do this? whatever the need is. Am I convinced of this or am I just saying it because I'm a Christian and we pray like this? Do I really believe this? So you go back, you settle this thing in your heart and you say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I receive this need to be met because I ask you to do it and nothing is impossible with you. And you told me that if I can believe nothing is impossible to me. And therefore, I receive as done whatever it is your request is. And I thank you for it now in anticipation of its coming to pass in Jesus' name. And from that point, as a Christian, you cast your care of this thing over on the Lord in whom you have believed and you hold fast. It's James 1. But now James 1, 5 says, but let him ask in faith without wavering. Because doesn't the word wavering have a similar English meaning as the word stagger? Not the same, but similar. 
You know, a man who staggers is not able to stay on course and he's here and there and he's drifting around. Well, the waves of the sea are tossed this way and that way. The word stagger, the Greek word, diakrino, it's a word which simply means die, meaning to, and krino, to judge or discern. And you've got two ways of looking at things, which is what doubt is all about. Doubt can't make up its mind. You know, a Christian knows what God said is true, but he also knows how he feels and what people think, and it's never been done. A woman that age, how can this be? When it comes faith, you cut the other half out. Your eye becomes single. You look at it one way, and that's God's way. There's no two ways about it and be faith. If it's faith, it is. If God said it, that settles it. Remember years ago, the Billy Graham sticker you put on your bumper says, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. When I learned a few more things, I crossed the middle out. If God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. But believing brings you into the benefits of it. So that something on the inside of you, a deposit from heaven, a life that is stirring you on the inside has opened your eyes to see things you've never seen. And the effect of that is to trust it. It's going to come to fast just like God said it. So this is what this word stagger means. And Abraham, he considered not, and he staggered not. He didn't let physical things and natural things deter him. And he would not doubt that it couldn't happen. Now, Abraham did that. Abraham's no different than you and I are. God has said more to us that's been recorded than has been said to Abraham. We are here with Abraham's story to learn from what he did. For the things that were written then are for us, Romans 15, 4. So we learn from what he said then. Because God is no respecter of persons. If he said it, He'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. To whosoever will believe it. And believing is inspired of God. Now, let me ask you all a question. What do you stagger at in this room this morning or out there in the disc world out there? What do you stagger at? Now, we've read about Abraham. He did not stagger. Let me ask you a question. What keeps you this morning? What keeps you from receiving the promises of God? 8,000 of them here. What keeps you from receiving them? Who told you that it doesn't work? Who has told you that you're not ready for this? These are things that I've heard. Who told you that you can't just become a Christian and get saved and then expect God to perform for you all these wonderful things? They say it like this. This is the natural mind. If God was going to do all those wonderful things, would he not first do it for those that have labored in his vineyard the longest, the older people that have been in it for 30 years and have sacrificed so much for the little church in the wildwood? Wouldn't he do something for them first? And yet you're saying whosoever will, that means a young one just came in here and got saved, got his eyes open, and now is believing that God's going to do this or that. It's the church people that suppress him. You can't do that. Who taught you that? 
That doesn't work for anybody. God may not want you to have his blessings. Well, he said he did. Well, and as they used to say when I was a kid, a well is a hole in the ground. It's a deep subject. You're too young. You can't be a teenager and expect God to bless you. You can't just claim promises. Let's write a book on name it and claim it. There are books out there today on the name it and claim it cult. Those people who say they can just name it and claim it and God has to do it. Now, when do we taught that? What we have taught is that God will do what he has promised if his promise is hooked up with faith in those he promised it to. I don't have to make up anything and say, now, God, I want, uh, let me see, uh, give me, uh, no. All I have to do is go to his word and see what he said. Let's put it like this. What if this Bible was an inheritance? Somebody's doing pretty well if he had that many pages in it, wouldn't he? What if you were my children? What if you in this room were <laughs> all my children? And this is my inheritance. And as this is being read in a court of law, by whoever the authority would be in the court in dispensing my inheritance to you or your inheritance from me and all my holdings. And I said, I leave everybody in the room $1 million tax-free if this was possible for sake of an illustration. Would you get excited? It's just a million, but would it be legal? Now, what if the bottom line said, and everybody who shows up at the courthouse on a certain date will get their million dollars. What if you didn't show up because you're not really sure that you know, it couldn't be that good? Couldn't be that good. No, nah, it couldn't be that good. No, nah, that's some kind of deception. That's something new going around. It's probably that name it, claim it crowd. It, it, something's wrong here. I'm not going down there and make a fool of myself. Let's say a third of you came. Just say the first two rows came. They got their million. What would the rest of you say? When the court says, and all of their millions, give it to the first two rows, so they'll have about 15 million apiece. You could have had it. It was there all the time. The pages will never change. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Will never be any different then I am the Lord that healeth thee. To a man without that inner activity, it's just a word in the Bible that has no substance. But to a person that's been touched by the strong hand of love, yes, it's hope. It's hope. It's peace. It's joy. It's life. I can do all things through Christ. Who told you that? Who said you could do all things through Christ? Who said that you could cast the devil out of somebody who needs it cast out of them? Who said you could do that? They don't do that anymore, do they? That's a lot of people think like that. Well, they don't do that. Can you prosper? Why don't people prosper then? Prosper doesn't necessarily or only mean have money. Probably the greatest way it's used is like in the realm of success in living. It's having peace and being at ease, having this 
joyful, free countenance about you, that's prospering. But it doesn't exclude having money. It doesn't. But maybe we've never seen it happen before. We don't know anybody that's ever done these claiming things and receiving things. And therefore, maybe uh, we don't want to be too hasty here because we might get into some cult. You know, we might want to claim healing. Some of them saying you can be healed or you may be having personal difficulties in your life, maybe depression of some sort or family history of this or that. Uh, you know, maybe I, I don't want to think it's in work and I can get some results and be delivered from that. It might not work. Or, you know, our marriage is, you know, it's on the rocks, or my parents or my children won't mind. Is there a promise? Is there anything in the Bible about this? And when you find it, a lot of folks say, well, now, you can't be sure of that. Who taught us that? Who so deflated this word that the entrance of it is nothing but ink on paper? It's nothing on our heart. It's just biblical words that people memorize and sing hymns about. Who told us it's not real and, and life-giving? Who told you you can't claim the promises of God? Who said you cannot claim a promise of God? You've already claimed one of them, and that's salvation. God has already brought you what you believe is his salvation. But that's a bigger word than just born again. I mean, you've already claimed that. Have you? Can you do better than you're doing financially? See, I heard the very things I'm talking to you about. I heard about this a long time ago in a Christian church in Indiana where nothing spiritual had ever happened. Now, I'm being ugly when I say that. And I got a tape. I began to listen. I got saved. I got filled with the Spirit. And then this Spirit of God activity on the inside of you has a quest to learn. I found a lot of people who say they're spirit-filled don't have this. Now, something's wrong because I found that when God invigorated you with his spirit, boy, there was this more, more, more. Teach longer. Don't quit. Up it. Oh, I want to learn. I want to know more about him. I want to know him. And I heard about it, about prosperity. I was out of a job at the time. I thought I'd be hired again as a school teacher and a coach and come to find out I wasn't hired in the fall of 1970. I was out there in what we learned later to call the field. I was in the field. I had no employment. There was no check coming in every Friday. I had a wife, a couple of children, and I had rent to pay and utilities to pay, gas to buy for a car, and I think car payments. And I got a hold of this thing about blessings and prospering. So I go in to do my taxes. Last year I taught school, I made like $10,500. That was real good then. I mean, the first year Bonnie and I taught school, what we make together, $8,000, both of us, that's education. And then the next year, when I was out in this field, I think it was about five or $6,000 that year was our income in this field, where I'm all excited about believing God and trusting and claiming. My claimer was at high level. <laughs> and in the natural, as far as everybody could tell, it wasn't working. 
I claimed a new car. I claimed carpet, stoves, refrigerators, washers. Why not? Who said I couldn't? Where is it in the Bible that we cannot believe God to give us these particular needs in our life? Where does it say it? Well, somebody made that clear to me. I praise God for that somebody. They made that clear to me. Why are you limiting God? Because you're told it doesn't work. Where does God say it doesn't work? Overcome all of that. So I started claiming stuff. Laying hands on stoves. Unheard of. Educated people don't do that. I did. I didn't know any better. I did. But for their sake, I didn't. Laid hands on things. Testified to the church that God was going to give me a, a, a car and all this stuff. And people just kind of bow their head and think, what's he listening to? So strange. And income went down that second year, like I said, about $6,000. I went into my tax accountant to get my taxes done. And back in those days, unemployment, you had to claim how much money you would make the next year, and that's what you paid taxes on four times a year. So you had to claim. And I thought, because I learned about faith, and I thought, well, God can do at least as good as the school board did. I claim $10,000. And, you know, the, the tax man, he was a nice fellow, or she was, and said, well, now, you made six last year. That's a pretty good jump. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to bleed God. Oh, okay. So we started paying. The first payment came. I thought, how am I going to make this payment? I don't have any money. I don't even have a job. And the phone rings. Come thou to Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, Indiana, and preach a revival. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not a preacher. And then it says, do you desire to eat? I will. I'll be there. Nearly backslid over it, but I went. And at that meeting, another man came, another preacher from up at Olive Branch Baptist Church up on the hill from Vivi. Come preach a revival for me. All right. And then it was back to the Lancaster Church for another meeting another month. And then it was here. Then it was there. And here I am. Stand here today after all of these things happen. But in the middle of all of this, that next year, I went in. How much are you going to make this year, Bob? I'm, I'm rolling now. $15,000. And the Lord gave me $33,000. $33, it was like, if you're willing to stand out there and let people laugh at you, mock you, and say all manner of evil about you, and not give in to that, and not cater to that, but just hold your ground and have that personal relationship with God, I'll bless you going in and coming out. I think in a couple of years, it was 60000 and I was gone and going and running and all that. Now, today, it's $6 million a year. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Why don't you claim it much? I don't want that much, and I don't need that much. I don't need that. That's not a need in my life. God blesses me to where he just blesses me. I mean, it's, 
I found some money in my pocket the other day of a coat I hadn't worn in a while. I got in it, actually it was last Sunday, in, a, in my coat pocket, and I thought, where did that come from? Well, it came. I don't mean it fell out of heaven. That was in there from previous use whenever it was, but it's just so many ways that God just keeps confirming his word. We threw our medicine away. And David back there, he was on antihistamines. I was on antihistamines. We always had to take antihistamines twice a day. And I remember thinking, why should I? Why should I? Haven't I been delivered? Does not the Bible say he bore all of that stuff? Does it or not? Then if it says it, then it's true. If it's true, why am I living like it's not true? I need to overcome the natural and get into the spiritual. I made that decision, and it, it got worse. <coughs> and but, 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 folks, this is the difference between those that waver and those that don't. That's when you say, I will do it. I threw my hankies away. I'm going to do whatever I can in defiance of the devil. I don't have to be sick. If that's true, if Jesus really did bear my diseases and all my pains, I do not have to have it. I may be tested in some ways. Oh, yeah, now what are you going to do? I don't have to hold it. I don't have to keep it. I have been delivered from it. I choose to overcome anything that doesn't agree with God. My body says you feel bad, you look bad, you sound bad. God's word says you are healed at the cross. They are in conflict with each other. They both can't be right. I'm in the middle. What am I going to do? I'm either going to say what God says and act like it's true, or I'm going to say what my body says and act like it's true. If I do one, I defy the other one. Now, I've got to make up my mind. If I want to live the Christian life, I want to live it on God's terms. If he said it, that's it. One eye, one way, no more. Laugh, scoff, say what you want to say. That's my choice. I choose to believe God, to resist the devil, and I choose for him to flee from me. I begin claiming cars. I got a new car. The year the money came in, I got a new car. Somebody gave it to me. I don't know who. And then the symptoms left my body. I went through a back problem and a knee problem and all that, but I just held on. It lasted for a few years. I held on. I don't have to have this. Oh, man, don't do that. Because Then I'd run. I'd get out there and try to run. Oh, that's going to make it worse. Well, I'm going to run a little faster then. Well, that's crazy. I'm sure it is to the world. I just don't want to lay down and let the devil run over me like it's okay. He can't have my children. Oh, it looks like, I don't care what anything looks like. I have a source I can go to, I can cast all my cares upon thee. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and what? Heavy laden. What for? So you can undo your heavy burdens. He did that. He undid them. He bore away all this stuff that sin brought into our life, all the dismal thinking and 
What am I going to do with this child? Lay hands on him. Lay hands on him or her, on his or her pillow at night and do some warfare. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I know God. There's no problem with you. If there's any problem, it's right here. And I want you to help me get over this. If I have to say this, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm in my struggle here. I know a man that said that once and he got full deliverance. But he didn't want to keep it. He wanted to deal with it. I'm not willing to go through life and say, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. No, I, I want whatever I got to have right here. I want to get over this. I want to get out of debt. I don't want to be shackled with all of this. Not in this hour. I don't want to be shackled with mental blocks and trusting in a bottle of pills the rest of my life. My pills are the gospels. I want to just have that. Like I said, there was a time we poured them all down the drain, canceled all my insurances on everything. I don't need it. If the 91st Psalm is true, I don't need it. If it's true. Uh, you can sing it and quote it all you want to, but is it true? That if it's true, why are you living like it ain't? If it's true, it's true. Don't shout me down this morning. This is sometimes the kind of Word that has to shake you out of a complacency and make you aware of the fact, hey, you're in a warfare. We're fighting somebody out there. Are we winning? Are we winning or are we being defeated? Are we grouchy, complaining, fussy, fighty, sassy? Then we're losing. That's not the kind of life that God gave us to live. Let's take our faith. Let's get a hold of our faith and say, it is going to be in my life just like God wants it to be. Remember when this church first started, the few of you that were here? We didn't have good jobs. There wasn't any. We used to say, the heathens have all the good jobs. So what do we do? That God would provide other jobs for the heathens. We didn't say just kill them all. <laughs> that God would provide other jobs for the heathens so that we could have those jobs. Folks, here we are nearly 28 years later. You haven't done so bad. God has been faithful and we should acknowledge it. We're not broke. There are things out there. There are jobs out there. Lay hold of one of them. I do for my family that God will bless all those who work in my family with good jobs and especially, especially, especially with good skills. So that when they begin to do their job, it's noticed, wow, that guy's really good or that girl's really good. Why should I sit back and just watch people struggle? Not in my family. Y'all can take it any way you want to. As far as I'm concerned in my family, it doesn't have to be like it is with so many people. God's going to bless us. He's going to bless us. Bless us in this life. Now, briefly, go back to Abraham. Thus it said in verse 20, Abraham was strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God. He didn't give glory to the hospital. He didn't give glory to the medicine bottle. He didn't give glory to anybody. He gave glory to God. That's his Christian testimony. And thus... In verse 21, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. One version says it like this, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
Isn't that good? Let me ask you a question. If God has made a promise in his book, if there really are all these hundreds or thousands of promises in the Bible, are they not for us? They weren't promised to history. They're promised to God's people. Natural men don't receive the things of the Spirit. They've got nothing in to receive it with. They've never been born of God. Nothing's in there. Nobody home. But when there's something in there, the Word is inspiring. Yes. It's why you smile. It's why you praise. It's why you clap your hands when you really do it because you're really glad about it. He has made me glad. He has made me sad. No, he's made me glad. He has filled my heart. This is the day that the Lord... Have y'all know that song? This joy, his joy. You know that song? I will enter his gates with sadness in my... You know that song? I don't either. But Thanksgiving is. Why? Because it's all becoming real. It's like something that is being fulfilled and he brings his word to us. He gives us faith for it and then it's fulfilled and it's like, God, you are bigger. You are more. He's all I need. Remember that song? Is he really? Is he really? He's all I need? Oh, Jesus. Folks, we got to make up our mind that we're going to trust the Lord. I want you to turn to one more place in Scripture. I want you to turn to Psalm 37. Psalms 37. Among many, many other such psalms. Listen to what belongs to you. Ask yourself if your faith can embrace the reality of this in your life. And if it can't, why can't it? And while I'm reading this, you do something else. Ask yourself if something on the inside of you witnesses to the genuineness of this word. It shall be. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Then we should dwell in the land, and we should be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord. That surely can't be true. Hey, you young folks, delight yourself in the Lord, and what will he do? Let me ask you something. Why take less? Why settle for less? Why would you settle for less? Verse 5, commit thy way unto him, trust also in him, and what will he do? He'll bring it to pass. Bring what to pass? Probably verse 4. He'll give you desires of your heart. Just commit your way to him. Make him what your life is all about. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest, verse 7, in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret because of those who are doing well right now. You hold on. Yours is coming. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any way to get evil, I mean to do evil. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in abundance of peace. Wow. Verse 16, a little that 
a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Verse 21. Oh, we better leave that one alone. Verse 22. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth. There is a day coming that somebody will inherit the earth. Now, this is a blessing to inherit the earth. In verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God will delight in his way, and the man will delight in his way. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and shall dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speak wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of God is in his heart. That's where it belongs. None of his steps shall slide. It can be like that. And look at verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. How many times does it say inherit? And verse 40. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Such a simple life of just taking the Almighty at his word and counting on him to do what he said. And the people who are willing to do that benefit from all the consequences of that. They are blessed of God in this way and that way. And if I can, because I'm so inspired, Psalm 112. What a beautiful, beautiful place to go. This is one of those oases. You know, one of your rough days, just sit down there by the cool streams of Psalm 112 where the sun is blocked by those palm trees and a cool breeze blows even in a hot place. Ah, oh, and you refresh yourself with things like this. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that greatly delights in his commandments. That's that living on the inside. His children shall be mighty upon the earth. You want your children to be mighty upon the earth? Some of your parents, mine did, for example, didn't know how to claim that. They didn't know that I could be mighty on the earth. Or you, because we don't look like mighty stuff. We come from low-grade families, the world would say. We're not upper-crust people. How could we be mighty? Can I say it again? His seed shall be mighty on the earth because Daddy feared the Lord. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Verse 3 has to be true. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Whose house? Whose house shall wealth and riches be in? Is that wrong? Is it a sin to have wealth and riches in your house? Bible says it. The liberals, they want to take it out. But, verse 4, unto the upright, I hope that's you, there ariseth light when? When darkness comes, God gives you light. He is gracious, full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance forever. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Aren't you glad? Why? Because his heart is fixed. Verse 8, it says it's established. 
His heart is established, and he shall not be afraid until he sees desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed. He gives. He's a giver. He's generous. He's not tight and stingy. He is given to the poor, and his right ways will endure forever. I like that. That's not all. You got other Psalms in there. You got Psalms 31, 9 and 34, 2. None of them that trust the Lord shall be desolate in this life. Why should I not triumph daily? If God really has birthed me in this world to have a life that comes from another world, if there truly is a divine nature in me, if it really is true and the knowledge of God enhances it, expands it, and broadens it till like a tree, it begins to put forth its branches. It started with just a little belief in something that God has and the more I begin to feed it, it just gets bigger until your life, I'm like a tree, like a tree. I'm like a green olive tree in the house. And the green means fresh. The house in the house of the Lord. I will trust in the mercies of God forever. I will trust in the mercies of God. It's just a beginning. It gets bigger. It gets better. It gets more gracious. It gets more involved. It doesn't leave its pressures and troubles in life. It just opens up to you a life that you, not everybody, a life that you can live. Why would you not? And overcoming and victory, the victory that overcomes all this dismal stuff in the church and in people's lives and all that dismal talk and all of that yucky, the thing that overcomes all of that is your faith in God. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, what a treasure and what a privilege it is to stand here this morning before these people and to declare the word of the Lord. You have given us your word as life. For you have told us, Lord, by the lips of Jesus that your words are spirit and life. And when we hide those words in our heart, Lord God, we have life and the spirit within us. I ask you to continue doing a work in our life. If it's been lagging, if we've been dragging our feet as Christians, if our song in the night is going stale, God, quicken us with your word. Quicken us. Stand us upright on our feet and make us to know that you have called us to overcome and to get the victory. Give us happy marriages, stable, obedient children, sound jobs, freedom from the cries of this world. As they said in the Psalms, Lord, teach us to do thy will. For all of us, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's the blood of Jesus It's precious and it's pure 
It sets me free And it covers all my sins It's the blood of Jesus It's precious and it's pure It sets me free And it covers all my sins It's the blood that redeems my life from destruction It's the blood that paid the price It's the blood that seals the covenant between God